Welcome to the Doomed and Stoned show. And my co-host, John Guest, is with me. But we have a very special guest, and that is Reese from the band Stake out of London, England. You guys are all still in London, correct? We're floating, but yeah, in and around London. Before we get into talking about your new album, tell us like who is who in the band and who does what? So I'm Reese on guitar player. Uh, we've got Kipper on vocals, Cam on bass, and Dean on drums. And Dean is a new addition for this album, so he's brand new and he's brought something uh, quite unique to the uh, album, I'd say. What's different yeah. drumming-wise? Uh, uh, drummers are all mental, right? In their own... <laughs> That's true, uh, I guess. You mean mental like they're a little, little crazy? Yeah, yeah, okay. totally, totally crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Dean's our third drummer so far. So I know drummers quite well, and uh, so I would say Dean's the most stable of them all, and I think that comes through in his drumming. He's solid, and he believes in the timing, and believes a solid beat is worth more than being flamboyant. They say. Right. And, but he's and, got some really spectacular parts where you. You hear him playing drum, or you know, part of the drums that really stick out as well. Where I was like, oh, "Do I remember hearing that before?" So it's it's a fascinating album. Uh, Acute Mania is on Ripple Music. Came out April, not April Fool's Day. Yeah, it was April Fool's. Yeah. You're like steak fans. This isn't April Fool's. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be different. <laughs> It, it was funny as you and me have discussed this off air at times. So, you know, this album is a creative force in a different direction. Uh, I think you guys got mad respect out there for being stoner, desert, heavy rockers. Riffs, Kip with great vocals, songs that rock and are memorable. And so here we are. We're ready to push in with the next heavy album. I don't think all bands can do this, Reese. Like, I love Thousand Mods, I'll say. I love them. But this last album they did, not so much. Now, some people did. But me, I was like, oh, that's weird. I kept giving it a chance, but I never liked it. You guys, on the other hand, go in this different direction as well. You really pull it off and, and grow a little bit. See mass amount of creativity in this package you have <laughs> with a movie. A short film, right? Mad Lord, a full album, and then a comic book. <laughs> I mean, is there anything else? Did I miss something, Reese? Well, we had five years, so <laughs> it, was <a> long... <laughs> it was a long time. All right, yeah, I agree. I, I think it's like it's a long time. Well, tell us about kind of what went through the creative process during this whole five years. Like, what was the journey and the the thought process between the main writers, you know, that were making this magic album here. Being joining the band is quite instrumental in deciding what gets through the sort of like, you know, uh, quality control, let's say. Okay. So, so I, I would I would suggest that previously me, Kit, Cam, you know, Sammy before uh, and, and that uh, large before that, our previous drummer before Sammy, we went into this as a bit of fun. And it escalated, you know, and we've mm -hmm. never taken it all too seriously. 
Napalm signed us a few years into us right. being a band. Outstanding album. Like that's yeah. the album that got me. I was like, Whoa. and it did so, a song with Garcia, which we need to talk about at some point in time, but you could choose now or later, but obviously that's an interesting tip. Yeah, but the whole thing was just like a bit of a whirlwind of a bunch of mates getting together, playing music that we loved, developing our skills as musicians and learning as we go. And, you know, this this whole thing, like escalating, Napalm sign us, they give us money. Fuck, where are we going to record the album? Of course, where are we going to go and record the album? Let's go out to the desert and record the album. <laughs> you know, it's all about, like, what are we going to do to have fun, you know? Like, let's go and get drunk there. Let's fly there and have some beer. You know, it's the focus the whole time has been, what are we going to do to have the most fun? And then, as a byproduct, if people like the album, we go, oh, that's cool. You know, I like it. Yeah, and that really, really has been the, the, as simple as the thought process of the band. Now we're going into ten years since our first EP, Disastral. What do we do? You know, like we're older, we're better musicians. Should we just try and concentrate and focus and do something different? Because it felt to us a little bit like people could predict what we was going to do, and for us, it was nice to show how we've grown as musicians. You know. It's just got a different vibe to it completely. Now, if you look at it, what are the bands you would say more so were influential of the vibe that you, you did on this album? Many of us like many kinds of music and bands and everything else. Uh, well, I think in there I can already hear the influences, but they're not necessarily different influences to what we had when we started, but maybe we're better at expressing them now than we was then or I, I don't know or maybe our influences have changed or maybe we've just refined it a little bit you know like Kais was an obvious one but we got tagged with that early on which is a hard one to shake off you know well, I, I, I never I, even heard that oh, really nope <laughs> no. never Billy what about you you ever again clutch and state did you ever hear that but they were like sounded too much like clutch or anything. No, Caius. Caius. Why is it clutch? Oh, Caius. Caius. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He does sing pretty. You know who I think you sound? I don't think you sound like Neil Fallon. They got it with clutch. I was like, how did he miss this? I, I thought uh, you probably at least in that first song on on Acute Mania Wolves. I was like, does this sound like kind of like in the neighborhood? Of, it's kind of like a game I play, just as a writer because often when you're introducing a new artist to someone or somebody that, or you're trying to seriously analyze a piece, you'll draw from these little markers of similar vocal styles um, or contrasting vocal styles uh, if, if need be. And so I thought, you sound a lot like uh, Michael Stipe of R.E.M. Wow. in that first one. I mean, is am I out there? You getting kipped it. Kind of a similar vocal range. I'm cool with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm cool with that. <laughs> He's losing his religion. I, you know, what's funny is this REM, I used to listen to shit out of them in college. Eponymous was probably one of my most played albums the first three or four years, probably every year in college. It was just a go-to album. It was just college time music. REM got a little gross later on. It was just time to, time to finish up, you know? We're going back to influences. Yeah, REM wasn't necessarily one, but we're not against it. But ultimately, Caius was always an obvious one, and still, I can't hear much Caius in that new album, I've got to say. But no. Caius changed our life, 
100%, and we don't deny that. But we've taken that and we've developed it and we've become our own sound. And I think this album is the first album where the originality of us as musicians has come out. So yeah, but having said that, we love Tool, we love Pink Floyd. I was gonna say Tool, on that first video you had, it took almost three minutes to get vocals in there. And in the very beginning was very, had that Tool vibe, things were down, spaced out, kind of, you know, slowly brought it, you know, Bass, towards yeah. yeah, just a, and that was like a total, even almost the same tone, I think, uh, of Tool in the parts that was going on. And, and then maybe somewhere in this album, there's a Muse feel. <laughs> I say that somewhat jokingly, but maybe not completely. Been a while Appreciate since that. I've listened to Muse. Reese has someone in the band who absolutely hates Muse. Kippa <laughs> hates Muse, yeah, yeah. Kip does? Oh, okay. Dummies. So as usual, I'm not in on the joke. I get it. Oh, <laughs> I can hear a bit of Muse in some of that as well. But um, I guess ultimately it's like the band allowing ourselves just to take some time and not worry about the length of the songs or what people are going to think about it and it was just like let's do the best we can do and and with covid and everything happening it allowed us to have the time to you know we recorded this twice we went to one studio and recorded it and said fuck it that's not what we want to present so let's do it again and the second version of it is a much more developed album and i've got to be honest i couldn't be happy with it i, don't, I think the whole band are really happy with it as well well yeah Let's take a short break and we'll let the folks hear your first single, Pop a Special Custard, which is a fascinating name of a song. But well, maybe we'll talk about that when we get back. Billy, let's do That's this on the Doomed and What? Don't show. Yeah, man. It's been a long time coming Our ladder lost It's been a long time coming
We return on the Doomed and Stone show after hearing Coke Dick by Steak. And we return to the conversation with Reese from the band. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to dive right into what Coke Dick is. Um, but Papa's special custard, is there a story behind that? Um, what was going on there? It's a bit of a, uh, it's to do with uh, Cam, the bass player. He, he's had a bit of an awkward upbringing. I mean, there's all concerned okay. about that. <laughs> Next song, uh, and then Coke Dick, um, did Kim write that? Or you wrote that, or who, who was the main lyricist on that one? Again, this one's to do with Cam, the bass player. He, he's had quite an awkward uh, upbringing, so. <laughs> What's this upbringing thing? I guess I'm not asking any questions on that. I'm not taking that big. I'm just gullible enough, but I have only had a half a beer. So, you know, we, we talked a bit earlier, you were going over you know, some of your, your the, the, the chronological arc of steak. And you go out to the desert and record that album. Did you record that with, you recorded that with my uh, buddy Arthur C, right? Yeah, yeah, he helped out on that. We went to, uh, with um, uh, the guy that recorded uh, the new Caius uh, album, what, uh, Vista Chino. So we went to that studio there to do the Vista yeah. Chino guy, and uh, Arthur helped us out with that album. Um, yeah, and again, like, Napalm, look, out of the blue, we played a gig, a tiny uh, uh, a gig in, in London, and the next day I get an email from Napalm Records to say, someone was at the gig last night and we'd love to sign you. And I literally thought it was like a... Joke. The joke, yeah. It was like, so I phone Kipper and I'm like, just got this email. Like, I don't even know what could I, should I respond or what? This. <laughs> <laughs> what are you it, do, you know? it was just like, and he was like, well, you might as well respond and see what happens. So anyway, it was Napalm. They were in the throes of signing all the stoner bands, John Garcia and Brant Bjork and all this stuff at the time. They thought the money was there. And to be fair to them, they really put a little bit behind us and they gave some cash. And as soon as we got the cash, we were like, where are we going to go and record this album? And of course, you know, the pilgrimage, we went to the desert and recorded, uh, went, went out to record there. And Arthur C helped us out, get it all together. And it was a really, honestly, brilliant experience. Absolutely brilliant experience. Yeah. And then, yeah. Arthur's then, a good cat, man. He's done a lot of good stuff. He's been in the scene for a, a good long time. So for folks that don't know, Arthur's from, uh, Unita, uh, as the obviously the shredding guitar player and writer on a lot of the Unita songs, as well as House of Broken Promises. And hell, he's got two other projects brewing as well. So Arthur is a man about town, we'll say, over in the desert. And next thing you know, one of your highlights of the album is Pisser. And Pisser, as John Garcia is singing parts of this. So how the hell does this happen? I mean, I can put it together, you know, Arthur, and you know, or you just uh, tell me how this happened. No, yeah, I mean, he did have that infamous "Do" song on uh, what? What album was that? I don't even want to think about it. Like, I woke up rudely from uh, this playlist, and it had a bunch of Caius on it, and um, and I get woken up rudely by, from the soothing, you know, psychedelic music, just perfectly tuned. And it sent me off to Sweet Somnolence or whatever it's called. Um, what in the world? Yeah, and 
and all of a sudden I'm awakened by uh, what was the lyrics like you know you can and will lick my dew are you and back to REM on this or what? No, this is Caius, dude. Oh. You're, a Caius, you're the Caius expert here. It felt more like REM the way you're singing it. Well, the way I sing, yeah, maybe. Maybe I can do reinterpretations of these yeah. songs. Okay, band, it's REM So he did, he did the Pooh song, and now he does the Pisser song. No, you, you do the, Mike, the punch Michael Stipe Come on. version of Caius. You would, you would probably do pretty good. Be interesting. Be weird. I don't know. I think my voice would be pretty stretched. I definitely can't do like dirty vocals. I just don't have enough of the grr. I, I have a baritone voice, but I don't have like that. Well, so John Garcia's got an unbelievable voice and he ends up being on this song with an exceptional singer, by the way. I think Kip is a great singer. Uh, so, th and they really, this song, this just rocks. How did, how did that all come together? Yeah, well, and, and yeah, uh, if you put it in perspective, from, from, from our first EP 2012, our second EP 2013, by 2014, we're out in the desert with money from Napalm, you know, record this album. And then we're in the studio of After Say and all the rest of it. And, and it's like, do you know what would really add to this track? John Garcia. And, and they, they called him up and he goes, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, I'll come, and, I'll come down and, and sing on the track. And, you know, our minds are totally blown from being just dedicated fans in Superbad. Right. Now in the desert, in a recording studio. Real. With Arthur C and John Garcia and just sitting there watching Garcia belt this out over one of our tracks. And, and it was absolutely unbelievable, you know, and I'll, it, yeah, forever that will be a brilliant one. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a good song on its own right, period. And then you get the Garcia thing, it just puts it. Uh, I think a lot of people, uh, hopefully more people today here for the first time. That'd be, that'd be unbelievable. Uh, that's a, a hell of a way to get, <laughs> to get your band recognized. It's a song like that, uh, which is so good. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's another brilliant moment, John Garcia moment as well. So following that album release, uh, John's good enough to put us on tour with him. We do a six week European tour oh, with John Garcia, uh, which is amazing. And we go, to, we go to London, you know, everyone you know, knows us there, uh, packed house. And uh, so we asked John, John, would you come up and sing this of, of, you know, tonight? Right. It, we, had, we hadn't asked him at the whole, the whole tour, that wouldn't, you know, you're getting towards the end and you're like, oh, we've got to at least try. Come on, do you want to do it? And he went, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll do it. But it was a little bit like, he might do it, he might not. Yeah, yeah, I get we're, it. We're playing the set, everyone's into it. We look across at, at the stage, he comes on, and oh. boom. <laughs> Him and Kippo just go at it. And it's, uh, yeah, again, so I'd, I'd say that supersedes even the, the moment in the studio, because it was like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. He can sing so good still. I've had it for three shows in Vegas. It, you know, great guy. Um, you can just belt it out. So, you know, we uh back to your new album. What talk to us a little yeah, bit let's about, talk about that. Uh, back to the new album here. Let's see. Acute at what mania. time I like you, did, did you yeah. visualize it different? Uh, well can we talk about the name first? No, we can we can talk about that. 
I'm ready to break down the name Acute Mania because I love that title because I just learned what acute was like a few months ago. Um, like acute is like that sharp, sudden, once in a while pain, right? Um, whereas chronic is like all the time. And uh, whenever doctors would ask me because I have a knee injury and, and shit, and whenever doctors would ask me, you know, are you experiencing acute pain? I just was like, yeah, I guess. It sounds important. So uh, now I see it next to mania. This is this is interesting. I guess bipolar is another way of, of calling it. But um, okay, cool, cool. Thank you. Good insight. But, uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, it's a concept album of sorts when you look at all of the elements that have come together. But really, it started with um, the director Sam Smith, Samuel Smith, who, who's done a few of our videos before. When we was recording the album, we and him had a couple of beers and I said, look, we need a new video. And he said, you know what, I want to make a samurai film. Uh, so let's do a samurai video. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. And by the time he'd gone around, got all this shit together and he got this army of samurai and he got the location, blah, and he was like, we've got to make a short film out of this. So like, can you do this? Can you do the soundtrack for it? And we'll do your video. And it escalated like that. So then. We've always had the comic book stuff, so he wrote a comic as well, um, and we had that illustrated. And then, you know, it's taken so long, five years, and it left us loads of time. So we ended up just sort of developing this whole concept that maybe wouldn't have wouldn't have been like uh, as developed as it is without the time that we've had. So you know, you end up with with. Uh, a, a comic, a film, and an album all based around Samurai, which seems a bit obscure now, I guess. But I think it's cool. I mean, I, I'm sorry, John, I just I just I interrupted you, but I do want to follow up with this and ask, like, where did these inspirations come from? Where they begin uh, this fascination with Samurai? Well, yeah, again, I, I think it's it, it's definitely like it was led by the director and. And almost like we, we're lucky to have this guy, Sam. He's a very good friend now, but he he um, he's a very very talented uh, director. But he, he he loves to get into creative projects. And when me and him go out and have beers, we <laughs> get drunk and talk about ridiculous things. And then we end up doing this stuff. I mean, like this has cost a fortune between us. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to be honest, you know, this is five years of just like, oh yeah, we just do that, and oh, we, we yeah, by the time we do that, you know, we've built a comic, a film, uh, you know, the album, is, yeah, the album's, I guess, is slightly separate, but yeah, just this creative stuff that's going on, right? That that without uh, without Sam and me and beers, it just wouldn't exist. So, <laughs> and, and you have some right. actors on there that have done stuff in Hollywood and uh, in as well in the movie. Yeah, yeah. So Christopher, who's, Christopher is the lead guy in that, was um, is in the, the, the Hitman's Wife with Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, he's now filming a, a Disney a, a, a Disney film. Um, and, and he come, uh, I met him last week, actually. We, we, he, he done the last narration on the, the last edit of the film. And I asked him, like, you know, why have you made all this effort to come back to England to do this? And and he said, you know what, before uh, I got the job on the Mad Lord film, um, he was a theatre actor. 
So he got the he got the he saw the advert for the Mad Lord short film and he got that, and then he used the the footage from that to then got it that what got him the Hitman's wife was Samuel Jackson, and from that he's gone on to get a Disney film. So he said, whatever I can do for you boys, will, like it's never enough. You change you you know you pretty much changed my life. So yeah. So no, he's a, he's a he's a Hollywood actor now, and that was oh. apparently given to us. So pretty amazing. amazing. Very cool. That is wild. Yeah, I mean, in the credits, even on another guy or two in that movie, right? Of all the yeah. credits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so a lot, lot of them have gone on to do, I, and and previously done, done some amazing stuff. And I've got to say, because because Sam, Sam, the film director, he's not, he does big budget stuff. He's not, but as I say, he gets caught up. And we have beers, and then we we do this silly stuff together um but he uh, he, can draw, he can draw these people and, and and if you watch the film or or the the music video for ancestors you see the quality of what it is and it's um, pretty amazing and we're lucky lucky to be part of that really right yeah really a, just a fascinating art art piece to say the least you know let's give folks a little break and let's give them some music so for sure you got to check out ancestors as we just talked about if you haven't seen the video god just go watch the video it's on youtube for god's sake all right let's get it let's kick it in there billy good all right back with more on the doomed and stone show
you know, I, I have a lot of faith in the music that's being produced during this time. Like, I think it's relevant now, and I think it's also a great time capsule for the future. Yeah, and I think the quality of the music now, especially within, the, I'm assuming we're all in the similar fans of similar genres of music, but the, the way the, those uh, bands have developed and the albums have developed, I mean, there's some amazing stuff right now. Oh, yeah that no one's hearing or a very small amount of people mm -hmm. hearing. Oh yeah, it's, it's monumental. Like some of the stuff is just reaching such new heights, either by breaking the genre or by executing it so sincerely and powerfully and cleverly that it's coming out to almost as a reinvention. You're having, you know, newer bands with younger people playing in an older style with their own fervor, with their own energy and, you know, the kids are responding to that. Yeah. That heavy scene is alive and kicking. I mean, it, a ton of metal heads here. I mean, like the metal that I never listened to. Like it's, you know, it, there are a good amount of them. I don't go to the shows very much, but the bigger ones I've gone to where it's like obituary and then some band that I really like, um, I looked around, I was like, God damn. It was like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Like, it, you know, it filled up like House of Blues lower floor it's like packed i'm like this is crazy there's a lot of things going on out there it's just big labels they want young good looking people to sing a rock and roll and i just think that's bullshit. i mean rival sons took them 10 years to get signed and they're literally the best private rock and roll band in the world like currently every album pro good the beauty of what's happening now in my opinion you know and, and i'll talk about desert fest but not just Obviously, there's a festival yeah. and uh, yeah, there's there's loads of festivals across Europe. What's happening is like bands are playing to thousands of people, and the mainstream don't even know it's happening, which is which is cooler anyway. Yeah, I think so too. It's it's neater to kind of stumble upon a a, a secret. What I want is our best musicians to get recognized and get paid what they deserve. They they're literally writing songs that if you carve out a rock and roll demographic and you fed it to them every day like you do this other garbage they would love it period more yeah. than what's being given right now people have checked out of some fm formats because they just won't play anything that comes from the family tree you know of zeppelin and sabbath other than zeppelin and sabbath and hendrix you know they won't play new music that came out of those trees and that's a humongous part of this whole thing and so that's just an uncomfortable thing along with there's you know now we have dirty honey you know good looking group of young guys here and, and i've seen them live they're pretty cool i saw them open up for uh, uh black rose and there's greta van fleet i know uh reese you say you like them a lot no, i'm joking <laughs> greta van, van fleet that younger guys brothers coming out of michigan um sounded a whole lot like Led Zeppelin at the beginning, now they sound more like Rush or something, but they've done well. So there are young bands coming in, but they're not bands that are, that are putting any dues in hardly at all. <laughs> There's boots. You fit in, go. But as long but, as there is a, a, a market and a, right. a, a, a circuit and, and what we've what we've created over the last, like all of us, like what you're doing, what we've done, all of this stuff all adds up to being something very special. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's like that to 
Yeah, it's be- continued to grow. I mean, that kind of seems logically that that makes <laughs> some sense that the success factor is going on and upwards. The more and more people are, find out about it, they just people just don't know about it. And so at some point in time, it just continues to to build into something bigger that people can't ignore. Uh, so hopefully one day it happens because it'd just be great for all that's involved, you know. Everybody, so, everybody within the, the definitely the genres that I work in is doing it for the reason for the love of the music, right? Right. And that's it, you know. But I, I remember saying I would love my great grandchildren when I'm dead, dead and gone to go up in the loft and find some old comic and an album. You know, that's the dream. And then they put it yeah. on and they go. Fuck, that was cool. Right. <laughs> you know, and that would be enough for me. I'm happy. Right. I'm happy. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That's cool. Anything, anything else. <laughs> so it's like, this is important stuff. Like, what you're doing is because you love this music mm-hmm. and it, it right. takes effort and your time. It's, it's, yeah. So it's, it's like special what we're doing, which is different to, to mainstream stuff. It is, but the, it can be really intersected a lot easier than we think. So, you know, it just uh, takes certain things along the way. It's very obvious how all this works. So it says now it's having songs that are good enough to present and to the right people. And they're, they're just massive gatekeepers and the, the most important stuff, you know? So maybe one day things just continue to kick, you know? I kind of like the idea of, uh, seeing rock and roll all over the place, seeing it on TV again, hearing it on TV again, watching the outros at ESPN occasionally. I mean, I lived in the 90s and 2000s. We had rap, we had rock and roll just as well as we had rap on sports highlights, maybe more. You know, now it's like none. It's like, where did rock and roll go? And so that's America, Reese. That's America. So it, you know, but we have so many people and the more these people keep hearing about from other friends and things, and they hear these songs by bands like Steak or Formula 400 or Boy Vader or whoever. People just go, holy shit. I didn't know people were making this kind of music. I mean, literally so many. Cause, cause, I, I'm obviously going to advertise the marketing, so I, I get a little visibility, we'll say, on that. Yeah, yeah, but it, but, but it, like, for, for, it's a naivety, isn't it, to think that right. a lot of people live their whole life thinking the only music that's ever created is what they listen to on the radio, right? And they live their whole life like that. Yeah. You know, you but you can go any direction. And and, and I mean, we're entrenched in a certain genre or a certain group of genres, right. but ultimately there's a whole other whole world out there that I'm naive yep. to. Like there's loads of brilliant people doing great stuff. There is. You've got to make, it's an effort to go and find it. And like, you know, what you're doing, trying to present sort of stuff to people, it's brilliant, yeah. Everything that's that's going to end up working out is going to be because of people uh, uh, working together and not being as emotional <laughs> sometimes. That's the, the, the awkward thing that goes on in business that sometimes has to just be reminded. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a great future, man. And it's super cool to see all this stuff come together like your project. Now, there's a comic book too. <laughs> and I, I, I tell us a little bit about how does that blend in? Are you guys characters in that? Yeah, so this started, this was the very first idea and I've never shook it off. So basically Disaster and all, our first EP 2012, there's us as 
comic characters on the front, and when you open up, there's a little story about this this you know, comic book world that we live in, and it was a nice idea. And then we then we took it to the second EP, Corn Beef Colossus, and and Slab City. If you've got the CD, inside the book is a little comic. We've always done it, basically. Um, so this was the this was the first real 26 page full comic that we've done. Um, uh, yeah, and it's brilliant. Yeah, it, well, I mean, I like comic art. I'm a big fan of comic art. I don't sit there reading comics for hours on end, personally. <laughs> but I love, I love comic art, and I think, you know, we started ten years ago with that idea of being comic characters, which is a brilliant idea. But you know, and there has been talk in the band. Oh, should we change the whole thing? And I'm like, well, you know. It was a good idea then, it's a good idea now. We might be a bit bored of it, but ultimately, it's a fucking brilliant idea. Yeah. I was wondering um, what, uh, you mentioned early on in the show that um, you kind of all had to step it up to a new level of creativity because you didn't want to sound, you didn't want to be predictable, right? Uh, so how, how do you practice differently in between albums to kind of come up with that? originality or to put some offerings in the bucket for consideration yeah i think there's some i think with with this new album melody was definitely something that we we didn't sit and talk about for ages but there was a nod to like you know kipper's got a great voice and he can belt out a, a tune no doubt but he's also capable of like some beautiful melodies and I think that was definitely something that uh, that, we, that that he worked on, and me playing guitar. I always think, you know, you can play guitar and you can practice for hours every day, and, and I don't even know what that is, you know. Like, just pick out the note that that everyone will remember, like, or that melody that that will stick out. That to me is more important than playing a thousand notes a minute, let's say. So I think definitely between me and Kipper was like, let's keep it simple, guitar, and pull out the melody with a guitar line. And, and for Kipper it was to um, definitely, you know, draw the melody out of him, which he which ne not necessarily been there before. You know, so I think that was the basis of it. And then as we mentioned Dean before, the new drummer, he, he brought something slightly different as well, where, as I said, like the quality, quality control, where, where he'd go, oh, should we, let's do this, let's really look at this, you know? And so we spent a lot more time on stuff than we had before. So I think, yeah, so it's a, a, a process that was very different to what we'd done before. For sure, for sure. You know, speaking of different, <laughs> that, you did, uh, you contributed a song for the Deep Purple compilation. <laughs> I, I love it. I played it on the show, me and Billy together. Um, exactly. It's brilliant. It's different. It's got like a girl also. Um, first of all, let's give us the name of the song and then what you were covering because it, it differs a little. It's, like, well, it's, it's a smoke on the water cover. Uh, right, but you call it what? Well, we did. We well, know it, we, it was um, Glory and Death Records done the compilation, and when we sent them the track, 
I could imagine them with their mouths open, like, what the fuck have we got here? But so they they <laughs> they, they sent back to us and said, look, maybe we should call this smoke because it's so different to smoking right. water. Yeah, which are, which is which is cool, which is good. Um, and I think we we approached it in that way, and it was at that same time of like recording this album as well, where it was like, let's just not do what everybody expects us to do. And and I played that Thank riff. God. I played that lip, played that riff a few times, and I just you know slowed it down, and I thought well, that sounds cool. And then from then it, it developed from there, and we done something very different with it. And I know it probably um, polarizing for people, I'm sure, but uh, I really like it. I've never heard anyone say they didn't like it, but uh, it, it's a song that also more and more people should definitely hear that one because I think it's I think it's a great one. Are you a fan of Deep Purple? Or where yeah, you? I mean, I'm not. I'm not like an avid every you know every album. Type. Blackmore is not a top ten for you, or no? I mean, I'm. I'm a, like a Pink Floyd man, and uh, uh -huh. yeah. but yeah, Deep Purple. Yeah, I, I appreciate Deep Purple like everybody else does. But yeah, but and Chantel, going back to the Smoke mm -hmm. on the Wall cover we done, Chantel that was on on that, we brought her onto the album Cute Mania, and right. she like instrumental in making that different as well. So on the last track, Mono, she just belts out that, um, you know, belts out of yeah. Uh, on that, on that track, which sounds amazing, and she's also on the second track, Dead Meat, which again brings another something different. To uh, I will say that, that Dead Meat and, and Billy, if you haven't checked this out yet, Dead Meat is probably the closest they are to where they were on the previous album. Maybe, maybe. what do you think, Reese? Pretty close, yeah. closer, yeah, no, all would, the bunch. That's yeah, kind of heavier, riffier, driving. Yeah, 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 I would agree with Great that. Song. I also think if you listen to Walls, which is the first track of Acute Mania, mm -hmm. that to me is like what I always called it the new liquid gold, you know? That's not that far away from that style of track either. Right. You know, so. Right on. Both cool, both cool tracks. B Billy, did you did you get a chance to, to hear some of this stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been kind of basking in it all day and just kind of getting back into um, the rhythm and preparation for the interview. And yeah. yeah, I think my favorite track is probably going to be Dead Meat. It's the shortest one on the album. Uh, and that's not the reason, but it just, uh, something about it really grabs me. Totally. Yeah, yeah it's a riff, riff heavy track. No doubt, no doubt about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the one and you know, we played Ancestors, was it last week on the show? Mm -hmm. um, and that one is was a little bit longer for me, so it really took me the patience, just like, all right, just fell down and just lean into it, you know? Um, relax into it, and I did, and I feel like sort of this uh, momentum is building, um, almost like somebody's getting their confidence back and they're gonna go out and take up on the world by the time the chorus is there. Uh, but it's it's very effective when you give yourself a chance to listen to it. And I think that would probably be true to say, and, and like, John, I know you're a fan of, of the older stuff, and I know this might have been a little bit more heavy listening, let's say, for you, but 
I, I do honestly think this one's a grower, and I think once once people get used to the, the listening to it a few times, they're, they're um, it's the best stuff that we've ever done, hundred percent. So. I I love it. It's uh, dynamic. It's different. Uh, grower, maybe a little bit of a grower, but then a sticker. Uh, and I woke up with both the videos, the song in my head. Uh, and that can last for days. And so that's usually a pretty good sign, uh, at least in my psychotic little world. Uh, I, you know, I don't have like Millie Vanilli in my head, right? Or Hank Williams Jr. It's not, you know, I don't wake up with that, right? Or Yoko Ono. If I woke up with that, I'd probably be dead because I'd like, oh, yo, this album. So, but anyways, this album's, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's really cool shit. Now, here, quick question. Um, before we roll into Desert Fest, how how old were you and who gave you the first listen of Caius? So I it would be our first drummer, uh, Dan. So that would have been probably well it was a late we was a late comer to it, probably two thousand and early two thousands. Okay. So they were already done and then they were done. And then yeah, somehow or another, someone got it in your ears to actually give it a shot. That's and how old were you? Uh, I would have been, early, yeah, early twenties. So you know, it okay. we weren't, we weren't, you know, we'd missed the boat, and we started, you know, when we first started being in a band and rehearsing and mm-hmm. and uh, deciding what, like, you know, what, what sound we was going to be and all the rest of it. And then the drummer brought in uh, Wretch, and he just went fuck. Hmm. You've got to listen to this, you know. And I know a lot of people don't like that album. We put it on, it's like, what the fuck? And then, literally, from then, we bought every album. Right. And, and it is no word of a lie that Caius changed our lives, you know, before, you know, and it, like it has for a lot of people. Um, it, it, it changed our lives and, and uh, the direction in which we moved as a band and the direction I moved personally, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, you know, I got in on uh, Blues for the Red Sun, and and then I went backwards, the Wretch, and that that was not, I couldn't do it. It was too tough. I, I couldn't appreciate the, anything about that album hardly compared, like two songs I think I liked, but I had heard Blues for the Red Sun, it was just pounding through my car, like, the, the <laughs> blew one of the six and a halves in the back, I'd drive all the way to Savannah, and, and put it back, it's crazy. Like that album just, you know, then right after that and boom and boom. Um, so I, yeah, that was in 93. So my uh, pot dealer downstairs, he gave me the disc when he gave me like a little dime bag or something. And he's yeah. like, man, you know, I think you'll like this. I'm like, I looked at him because he's like a jam band guy. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of late uh, getting into it this to me, too, man. Put it in the car and yeah, the rest is history. They're a pretty fucking amazing band. Oh, yeah. I wish I'd gotten in as as early as John did, man, because I still never see him. You know, MTV at that time. I guess it just, I I feel like I saw, you know, one of the music videos and probably liked it, but it, I think I was just in an older state like college age, where also kind of the early 2000s, where I was uh, exploring new music. I was really dissatisfied with. What the radio was playing in the post-grunge era and 
uh, I started to look and see, well, surely there has to be more bands than just what keeps being repeated, you know. Um, if I have to hear Marcy's Playground one more time, you know. Oh, God, that's... It's like, it gave me some relief here, all right? I love R.E.M., but do I really have to... Oh, get we're back to R.E.M. Over and over again. Amazing. You know, it's just like, okay, I get it. This is the radio station you listen to for drunk sentimental reasons, but... It's not if you want to like grow your musical taste or get something like that. There's something within me that's always striving for better music to listen to, not better qualitatively so much, but more appropriate to like the moment, you know, uh, hey, in my life. And and so like, I'm, I'm wrapping it up real soon. Yeah, so like steak kind of has that, it's got that meat, it's meat and potatoes. So I've always kind of equated it with that. And there's plenty of it on this new album too. Do you like sex and candy? Uh, both have suited me well during my lifetime, yes. Okay. But at the same time, then, like a. That would be weird, John. Well, that's the song that Marcy Playground was the big hit with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now that I hear it just like once every so often, maybe once every year. It's not I think so I heard it at a drugstore the other day. Thought it was weird. Yeah, there's so much new music though, like in every genre being produced right now. It's just, it's just baffling in my mind. Like I can't keep up with it. It's just like the human species driven by the internet is doing so many creative things right now, uh, musically. And a lot of them really, really good. A lot of good stuff. Now, speaking of good stuff, Desert Fest, New York City, you know, you, you lose Monster Magnet because he's injured. And the other day you announced the man, the myth, the legend, John Garcia, and along with two other really good bands. Tell us a bit about, first off, those three bands that were added to a killer bill. Yeah, well, I mean, initially in Brooklyn, that lineup that we put together, I looked at that and thought, that I'm pretty impressed with that. And, uh, yeah, and you know, and the Friday was definitely the the more old school stoner day, let's say, with Monster Magnet and Corrosion, and then Monster Magnet pull out. He's got a, uh, he's got a bad back or whatnot. So then we're in panic mode. Not long long to go. It was actually the biggest selling day, the Friday, with with uh, Monster Magnet and Corrosion. So. You know, oh, what we're going to do? But we've been speaking to John for a while about doing this. So we went back back down that road and and you know we talked about some other bands and that but John Garcia and the Band of Gold were the perfect band for that slot on that day. There are so many people that on the East Coast in particular that haven't seen John Garcia uh, perform with this band and the sets he usually does uh, are in for a treat. I mean he will blend in classic Caius tunes with some of the stuff off that last album which was my album of the year. I mean, has great, great, great songs and blends them in together. And uh, it, it's a journey. He can sing his ass off. He surrounded himself with great musicians. Mike Pigney who's also in uh, Mondo Generator is, is there as well as a few other gents that uh, he's just well surrounded and it, that's a great pickup. And then you also picked up some boys from Texas. Mothership. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and what a brilliant band! And again, it was, it, you know, and that, it, I, I, uh, you know, I know Mothership. We played with them in Texas, and 
and whatnot, but it was my um, my uh, uh, colleague, Sarika, that said, we got like, Mothership's the perfect band. I'm like, yes, why haven't I thought of that? And uh, and they're always ready to party, aren't they? They're primed and ready to go every time. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> they were like, yeah, yeah we're, we're coming in, yeah. Um, the other band that we added, because the, the British band Greenland, that a lot of people were um, interested to see, couldn't make it over, so we had to replace them. We replaced them with uh, King Buffalo, which right. I didn't realise actually how well they're doing. You know, like oh yeah, they're the fantastic. One of the hottest bands. Yeah, Just yeah. The way use the trajectory. Yeah, the way they've grown in the last year is absolutely amazing. I mean, they're, the, the quality is undeniable. It was there from the start. Even the last three or four years, but this last, they really did it up in COVID time. they were driven to no end i mean they're like we're gonna put three albums out they still got two of them out yeah yeah. i mean did like yeah it's it's pretty creative it's it's interesting writing so i think that's unbelievable it's too bad about green long what what's going on with the visas nowadays how's this process going yeah i'm not sure and i can't speak for them you know they they you know we gave them an offer they booked it in we're close to the band we've booked them for london we will help a band like We'll, we'll help every British band out we can. Right. Um, but ultimately, they've got to, have, you know, you've got to have your shit together. You've got to get your visa. You've got to have a problem right. tour. Visa's not cheap. So maybe just, you know, things accumulated to make it not possible. And that's fair enough. Yeah. They'll learn by this, and I'm sure they'll be back, and I'm sure they'll be hopefully back for the following um, uh, Desert Fest. And there's more Desert Fest to come in the US, by the way. So we're going to be announcing more of that soon as well. So. Interesting. That's yeah. interesting. Who, who are some of your other headliners? So we know you got. I mean, who you got for headliners on Desert Fest New York? We we got Baroness. Uh, we got High on Fire. But then also the bands under them that almost are classes headline, like Red Fang, are playing mm-hmm. well as a main support. John Garcia playing main support. Corrosion. That's the headline. We're doing mm-hmm. like double, pretty much double headline as far as I can see. Sure. But if you look, if you look down the bill, it's just stacked the whole way, um, and so yeah, it was exciting for us to. Um, and I, I, you know, there's always the same as in London. Like, why is there a desert fest in uh, New York? Same as why there's the <laughs> in London. But we've been around for for uh, over ten years now, so yeah. people are getting the idea of what it's about. Yeah, I mean, you've had fantastic. Uh... Uh, just done fantastic over there in London, and you buy it where else over in Europe? Antwerp, Berlin, Berlin Antwerp. Uh, we've done a couple in Athens, which we'd like to go back. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we, yeah, and uh, and now New York. Uh, 2019 was the first one in New York, uh, and mm-hmm. that, the feeling I had in 2019 about New York was the same feeling I had about Desert Fest in London in 2012 when we first started it. It yeah. was like, people really want this to happen. Yeah. You know? Like, and why has no one done it before, for example? Right. It was like, this is this is the real, this is this is going to happen, you know? And I think, right. hopefully this... this and you didn't be... ease into it. I mean, you came with big lineups right off the bat, and, you know, obviously some some good budgets, I mean, and that's impressive. It's like, holy shit, we just got bigger. The London thing just blows me away. I mean, that's like literally, that was like a little mini pipe dream for a hot minute for me, just getting over there to London. 
uh, finally go to England, Ireland, and Scotland, you know. And uh, yeah, just things happen. But that lineup literally got me to at least go, huh. That's crazy. I think, yeah. I think the, what, what, what we um, really believe in is like organic growth. So we won't take investors. We won't like suddenly try and get panicky that somebody's doing something else that's amazing. We will just stick to our plan and organically grow with what the fan with what the fans want, you know, and like that. And and I believe that we will we'll, we will be around for a long time because of that. Like we don't panic. It's just like we stick to the plan, you right. know, support the bands, watch them grow, and hopefully they support us. You know, like King Buffalo, like bands like Elder, Green Lung, you know, we, we're there from the start. So hopefully they see mm-hmm. the benefit, you know, as that moves on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's it's fascinating to watch the, the scene grow like that. And, you know, give us numbers. Give us a little idea. How many, what's the largest Desert Fest? How many people showed for the largest ones of our? Well, London now is like just... Show at London and Berlin are, are near on four thousand per day now. Wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> fantastic. That's and, really uh, cool. That is so big. How many we, venues? And they have like this massive venue uh, with a couple of side venues in London, uh, uh, in Camden, which was the original one. You know, you have the Roundhouse, which is three thousand two hundred. We have electric board. I mean, London will be something like six, seven venues will do. And you wow. get a wristband and you walk up and down Camden High Street. They're all pretty close to yeah, each other. Yeah, all, within a 10 minute walk and you can pop in any venue you want with a wristband yeah. and it yeah. allows. So pretty wow. much, you know, if you know a band is is hot that's in a small venue, you need to get in there early. For yeah, totally. That's weird. Yeah, for sure. I'm always I'm scared when I, when I think about it. Those lineups, man, I just get scared because um, yeah. I, I think of myself trying to route to get you know there before it gets ridiculously crowded. Um, but we've had Doom and Stone reporters go to Desert Fest before in Belgium and Germany and a few other places, London as well. Yeah, and uh, do a little diary of you know. It, it's nice to kind of get that play-by-play because you get an idea of like, um, you know, how to navigate that. Because one of the things I was advised about at my first festival is festival fatigue, especially if it's like a three-day festival kind of thing. If it's just like a day, it's not a problem. But if it's like three days and you have so many choices and it's just like your kid in a candy store. I just, like a three-day one, but the four-day ones are starting to, they're getting tough. I, I prefer not to do it, you know, and be involved. I mean, and I've done a four day twice, I guess, but I don't, I don't really even like the pressure of going to them because I get tired, yeah. and I know I'm just wearing myself out. Uh, but I enjoy the adventure of, you know, getting from one show to the other and getting in there. Um, sometimes it's a pain in the ass, but you know, a little beer and some marijuana, and everything seems to go pretty good. <laughs> And there's no cats jumping on me at any Yeah, desk. sorry about that, folks. That was yeah. a cat. Right. Not that we know. Reese might have mixed in a couple, like, pumas or something. Trying to extort treats out of me. Yeah. The, the, the thing with London, which is unique, and, and each city we do is unique, you know, but with London, because it's in Camden and, and the venues are spread across a 10-minute walk, there's 
the whole of Camden to see, you know, like you don't have to be in a venue. And we shut off a road, take over a road, we do all the merchandise and we've got a bar in the road and stuff like oh, that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. So a lot of people, they talk about going to see their best band and what they find is they end up in the gutter face down at some point. Oh, like, that's, that's <laughs> not good. But uh... <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, you see a lot of, a lot of metalers and rockers walking down the road lost and uh, yeah. just enjoying their day and it doesn't necessarily mean watching their best band yeah no. yeah i'm sure it's just a good time overall that that whole scene sounds good what's the weather like i mean it's raining or what <laughs> it doesn't always rain it's probably yeah but it's, sometimes it's raining but yeah, but yeah. It, and temperatures yeah. temperate during that time <laughs> no it's a good time yeah spring summer early oh, summer, summer. Shit. <laughs> amazing you know yeah Headliners and uh, headliners in London. Give us some of those. Yeah, we've got uh, Witchcraft back after a long time. Uh, we got Electric Wizard. Nice. Shellac. We got Orange Goblin. The thing is, we've got so many venues, so there's so many headliners. But yeah, you know, we've got yeah, Bongzilla. I mean, you know, there's loads of good stuff going on all, all the time. But there's Orange Goblin. Counted the bands this year, but there's got to be <laughs> 70 plus bands playing. Around, yeah. Which is, which is as many bands as any big festival anywhere in the world, I'd say. But we bring them all into um, right. central London. I'd say Psycho's a little bigger still, but uh, that's nipping right above out there. Psycho's get a, gets a new venue this year again. And I did a walk around of the place. It's in the resorts world. And uh, it's got a little bit of a stretch between the different stuff, if I figured it out even. So I had to literally walk around and like, you know, every nook and cranny kind of figure out where the venues were. Yeah. And, and people working there had no idea there was even gonna be that. <laughs> well, it's an interesting one for, for me looking, you know, I've grown a, we've grown a festival over that period of time from a very small thing to some yep. small bigger but still very conscious about you know how it's perceived and we like to be underground we like to still um represent what you know totally. want. and you know psycho is still doing that but it's something bigger and I, I can't work out the whole dynamic of they definitely are in grow your audience mode pretty aggressively the last two years they added a couple three rappers this year and added uh, a whole other like extension of this kind of off-kilter stuff, which we've kind of all known, you know, happens, but it, there's been almost a heavier part of that so far, but totally He's definitely been growing incrementally year by year, but he started with kind of that base, and I think that base probably more or less has stayed, um, or at least it's expanded significantly with each new year but yeah i've noticed kind of just stretching out stretching those tentacles into you know related areas of of heaviness i know people that like uh stone and rock heavy psych and uh, and doom that are going to ripple fest instead of psycho vegas mm -hmm. they're like why would i not go to something where i mean these bands i like way more than having to see this or that and that you know so it's it's interesting to watch as people have options along the way i, I think psycho's been super cool but you guys have been just uh pretty damn remarkable to just watch your ascent along the way yeah i mean so we look at it as a delicate balance 
you know, that original, I always look at that original fan base that come in 2012 need to be looked after. And if you grow or you don't grow, like what you was there originally to do should be the essence of the, of the festival. And, and as the scene grows, and like we chatted earlier on, you know, bands expand and things become interesting and let's go with it if it's natural to right. go. But the people, the ticket buyers have got to believe it as well. Yeah. You, know, you can't right. just say, oh, I'm going to make a shitload of money and I'm going to put this band on. Everyone's going to see it. <laughs> They're going to see through it straight away. That's not, you know. Right. And, and that's the beauty of this scene. You talked about Ripple Fest and, you know, no one's making loads of money out of this shit. It's like, we're doing we're doing something that we believe in and love for bands that we love and appreciate. That's it. Yeah, that's really cool. I I agree. I'm still a little bit of a capitalist. So what can I do? <laughs> but think about that stuff too. Well, yeah, make, I mean, make, I like my musicians. The some of them need to make money. I mean, it's just, that's what they're good at doing. You know, it's like almost like that's their thing. So I, yeah. I live in Vegas, and so I'm around professional musicians. You know what I mean? They don't have jobs, dude. You get what I'm saying? Like their job is to play different aspects within that industry. So it's just, you know, yeah, if you got yeah, really yeah. Good, good people, you hope that they uh, they yeah, get recognition and, and, <laughs> and a, a more stable living. Everyone's got to make money. I totally agree with you. But yeah. ultimately, if you don't do it for the right reason, then people see through it. Yes. Right? Yes. I'm really pissed off at how commoditized everything has become in our society, including ourselves. Like we're we're looking at our neighbors as commodities because we've all got an app to sell something on, you know, or whatever. Everybody's kind of like hustling uh, because you have to. It's kind of the economy. But when it comes to the music that we enjoy, you know, you just want to be treated a little bit differently. Like when you buy merch, you're buying for a, a reason that. Yeah. Yeah. It has more to do with vanity. It's it's your heart as well. Yes, I think that most of us. That's why we're there for it in the the core of it. Uh, it it's it's been a it's been a fun journey. You know, I'll have a couple more shows coming up here in Vegas soon. So uh, I've done a lot of shows in Las Vegas and set up a lot of stuff. And so yeah, you know, one day Reese, I hope I get staked to Vegas. Tell you, that would be we're cool. there. We're there. I, and get you on uh, that that best stage in, in the in the city for us. That it would be <laughs> that'd be badass. If if you find a little slot for us, we'd love to come. Too. Yeah, you give me a time zone, a time range, and we'll uh, we'll talk out there. We don't want to tease it, do we? I don't know. But uh, sometime this year would be great. So <laughs> so give us the dates on both uh, both festivals, and then tell us how are you going to survive. <laughs> Yeah, you personally through this. Fuck, you know, we've got London is 29th of April. That's the Friday. That goes Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We have one weekend off, and then it's New York, Thursday the 12th, 13th, 14th, and 15th. Then we go home, lick our wounds for one weekend, and then we go out for Berlin, which is the, the, the last weekend of May. Oh. So pretty much May is hangovers and pain. <laughs> what a dry sense of humor you have. I'll never forget when I met you. You, we were. It was in Austin at whatever bar, and I just got there a few years ago. And came like, "Hey, Reese Tay here," or something like that. Reese, and I'm like, "I'm sorry, what? Who?" And he's like, "Reese Tay, baseball." I'm like, "Oh shit, yeah," because 
people don't look the same all the time. You know, so, so, plus I just got there. I was just uh, quite the I'm more handsome in real life, you mean? Huh? I'm more handsome in real life, you mean? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> totally. totally. Yeah, without a doubt. That's what I... <laughs> I don't even know where the conversation was supposed to go from here in that odd way. Hey, actually, another random question since I got a British guy on the, on the, on the line here with us. Gentlemen's Pistols. What's the story with that band? And is there any chance of them ever playing again? Right. You know what? When we started promoting, they were like again, it, 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 like from my point of view, when you look at the British, how the British scene of of, of music has has grown, underground music has grown in Britain. If you take it like Gentlemen's Pistols were one of the handful of bands at the time, but to book them was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> that sucks when that happens. I can name some bands, but I'm not going to do it. But I get what you're going through on that. Occasionally, right. we would get them, uh, and then they disappeared. But yeah, uh, we 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 done some stuff with them, and a friend of mine, we done some snowball tours with them. Um, they're a brilliant band, and they should have been bigger than anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and brilliant live band, but ultimately, it's just hard work, right? Hard well, he's work. also in Carcass. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Bill Steer, yeah, but but. You, you know, ultimately, to, to, to keep a band together for the period of time you need to do it, to keep creating, for people to still keep interest, is the hardest thing in the world. I've got to say, I've done a lot of things, business and what, and same as you, John, but being in a band and staying together and bringing these albums out is the hardest thing that's ever been. Right it's a highlight of life sometimes, too, and something to enjoy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah and hopefully people enjoy it. Cause, and, oh, they will. Until you do it, you wouldn't know how hard it is. But I've got to say, it's a fucking pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> just the bloody pain in the ass, really. Yeah. <laughs> that just, it, you know, yeah, I would say England really does spot it up. But, I mean, it kind of feels like a good momentum this last four or five years coming out of that area. When you get the aforementioned Green Lung and, God, Elephant Tree. I mean, we can go... Like high level. Oh yeah, it's it's on fire. It's been it's been just smoking for a while. Is that the last Yeah, I mean everyone's from there. Like they're in Sweden, in our scene. And, and hopefully, you know, uh, not blowing their own trumpet, but hopefully, Desert Fest has played that part in it because if right. there's, uh-huh. there's a folk there's a, a focal point for bands to like, you know, oh we we we'll play that next year, you know. Something sure. to be able to cling hold of, where they know people will enjoy what they're doing, it's important. Yeah, you know, totally. Otherwise, you, you you you're creating a style of music and going off into the ether, and nobody knows what the fuck's going on. We, at least with what we're talking about, like totally. so, Ripple Fest and Desert Fest and all these things, mm-hmm. allows bands to focus. Um, like when we heard Kaius for the first time, it helped us focus to something. Sure. You know, that we Makes believe. Makes sense. In. Absolutely, I get everything you're saying. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's been a, it's just, I hope everyone just continues the support, get off the couch, go do things in life, um, or buy albums and merch and create a man cave. I don't yeah, know. I mean, recharge, have an experience, you know, have something to yeah. tell a story about, you know. Um, it's easier than ever to go to a show. So, I mean, it's not easier than ever everywhere, but. It's getting easier than ever, uh, or at least as easy as it has been. 
Um, and I actually think like right now is a good time to see shows because it's just starting to pick up again and it's not quite full. So if you, you know, really get intimidated by big crowds, you know, some of the pub shows and things are really worth seeing because you're not going to have like a huge, I don't know how it is in the UK, but that's kind of how it is notoriously in the, the States. It's fucking partying here, man. Like the shows I've been going, there's just tons of people. Oh, that's cool, dude. It's insane. It's Vegas. I mean, yeah, well, well, I, haven't been, uh, world. I haven't been back out actually for a couple months. So really? I'm just going on based on January, but guess, I guess. Uh, guess who I am seeing Saturday? Uh, Mono Lord. It's a residence. It's a residency. An old school 80s, 70s, 80s band called the Scorpions. Oh, yeah. My first concert I ever saw was them doing Love It First Sting tour with Fastway, which is Fast Eddie from fucking Motorhead and these guys. And uh, yeah, I, I get to see these guys. This has to be the last time I see them. I mean, these guys are old, some of them. Rudy Shanker and Klaus Meinen are in their 70s. It's just. I mean, with that vocal range, I'm kind of scared for them. <laughs> oh, yeah. My dad's in the 70s, dude, and. He won't let me do anything for him. He's just like super independent and Brian Young too. So I don't know. 70s today isn't what it was, you know, a few decades ago. Right. Now, Reese, Uli, Uli, do you like Uli? No, no, I don't know who they are. Uli John Roth, whatever his name is? No. No scorpions ever. The only scorpion. I'll tell you what, I was in the back of a um, car with uh, <laughs> with Kelly from Mothership. Yep. When we, when we was in Dallas, and he played me some early scorpions, and it right. blew my mind. And it absolutely blew my mind because. Yeah, it's totally perception. different. Yeah, my perception. It's more psychedelic. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. That's, yeah, why, so that's why I bring it up to you. It, it was, I never heard it in my life till like six years ago. Maybe seven years ago, the most, and then I ended up seeing him live. I was like, "This is pretty cool." Old yeah. man fucking rocking, you know, doing his little thing. I mean, it was yes, way different scorpions. I grew up with the yeah, the yeah, popular yeah. scorpions that hit it big, uh, and I know yeah, some people yeah. hate it, but and I'm just I'm not gonna make an excuse for. I loved it during that time. I, I don't make yeah. any excuses for it. My mom but took my radio away cool. forever because of the scorpions. <laughs> what was that? Oh, I was just saying my mom took my radio away when I was 11. Uh, I say forever, but it was uh, mainly just no listening to rock music after that point. I, I think it just was like too much for her and it just like jammed her nerves or something. But Well, they definitely talk about women and stuff. So. Well, no, she didn't get into all the Parents Resource Network or whatever that was. Ooh, MRC. Oh, God. That was that era, you know. And oh. My parents were buying a lot of books on rock music and the dangers of rock music. And I was kind of like indoctrinated that that was kind of the way too. And so I actually kind of gave it up for a few years, um, but it drawn me back, kept calling me back. <laughs> then you woke up. Yes. Then you woke up. Well, Reese, it's yeah. been one hell of a, a time getting to hang out with you a little bit and hearing that, that London accent of yours. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Really appreciate it. I think what you, you guys are doing is uh, brilliant. So thank appreciate having us on. Hell yeah. 
And if you guys uh, like Doomed and Stoned, hop on over to doomedandstone.com. How can folks get a hold of Steak? Do you guys have a central website, or do you use Bandcamp, or what's the story? Bandcamp, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the... The URL is, yeah, you guys can find yeah, it. I think it's like... Fake Bandcamp, but, but also you can, on that Bandcamp, we've got packages for the film and the comic and the album and the vinyl and everything on there, new merch, so yeah. And, yeah, and it's, folks... It's stakemusic.bandcamp.com. And, and folks, go to Stake's Facebook page and like it and follow it, please. Because these poor guys got their Facebook page hijacked and held for ransom. And so they've got to start over from scratch, uh, building a new follower base because they lost the original thing. Yeah. Oh, That's fucking so sucks. Give these yeah. guys some support. Follow them on there. Follow them on Instagram. And, I mean, uh, Instagram and Spotify. Oh, you know, because these guys, they, they work hard. They put beautiful stuff out. Well deserved. Billy, we pull it off, I think. It's a pretty good show, I think. All right. All right. Well, you guys, thanks for listening. I agree, John. It's been a great show. Uh, we've been uh, kind of yakking for a while. One more thing. If you like what we do, uh, hop on over to Bandcamp and grab a t-shirt, doomedandstone.bandcamp.com, or you can become a monthly patron. There's two levels, and that's at uh, patreon.com forward slash doomedandstone. You guys have a good one, and doom on.
Does anybody have the time? Okay, that's enough for today. On Monday, we'll talk about another pattern that might be of interest to all of you, cannibalism. Have a good weekend.
The preceding was a presentation of Doom and Stone.